0: This is Control Structure, episode 103, for March 9th, 2016. Hello to everyone listening. This show has notes. Visit TheNexus.tv slash CS103 to see them. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, in the new apartment, and with me today is Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hey, so what do you think? Uh, It definitely has an echo to it. Yeah, um, we sort of discovered that, as you've probably discovered yourself. Uh, If you've already listened to The Fringe uh, Spoilers Um, So uh, Yeah, I've uh, Finally looked at A new place And I have signed the lease as of Last night And I already have a few things in here So it looks like my plan Is going well Um, Although I slightly Miscalculated how much my car Can carry at one time But, you know you just have to, you know, live with that, I guess. So, like, even beforehand, I knew that, like, way early this morning, Fios would be shut off at my old place, and that sometime later that morning, they would, uh, come here to install it here. So, that meant for the podcast, we would probably have to do it here, which meant that some supplies needed to be transferred, so, um... Yeah, it's, uh, I essentially had to plan out a little bit, like, what to bring over and when. And, uh, yeah, so far so good. Um, so, like, I have a vague idea of, like, what I'm going to be bringing over each night. So, um, yeah, I still have, like, this whole, uh, trunk full of books that I need to take all the books out of it. Because it turns out that knowledge is really heavy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Knowledge
0: is really heavy, so uh, put the books in the car along with the trunk, but separate. Um, and I'll have to find a way to bring over my like little lockbox safe because that's like I don't know seventy pounds, and it's like a little like
1: one square foot. One cubic foot cube. You need, like, a dolly car and some tie-down straps or something <laughs> ratchet them on.
0: Yeah, and I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to use that with my car. That's true. That's a one-foot so. square fold down a back seat. No, you don't. Yeah, you do Well, just how to even get the dolly up there. True. 70 pounds is a lot. But, um, yeah, lift with your legs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it turns out that I can easily transfer... Several gigamilligrams worth of stuff by myself. I suggest you not think about that too much. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. uh, So, by Saturday, I'll have all the little things over here, such that all the big things will be left. And I'm going to rent a U-Haul, have my parents come over, have maybe Chris and Matt come over. So, Yeah. Uh, and by that time I will be fully moved in and uh, like maybe take a, a once over on the old place
1: to make sure it's all cleaned up so yeah so it's gonna be a good upgrade for you and uh, a little bit more space here closer to work yes much closer to work and
0: uh, you know we got the tea over there um, unfortunately well it will be fortunate that Chris will not be running towards it making us. Follow him around like strange neighborhoods, <laughs> up hills, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, Chris has problems.
1: <laughs>
0: like, serious problems. So, uh, anyways, uh, that's my big thing. And oh, yeah, it seems like my laptop needs to be uh, hacked into and reset again. Because, you know, granted, SSDs are great, they allow everything to load within a millisecond. Unfortunately, when you need grub to pause to load into the, you know, like the rescue mode, you only have about a millisecond to press
1: the shift button. No, Windows uh, used to have a feature for recovering the password in Microsoft Bob. The third attempt gave you the password.
0: Yes, we know about Bob, the best assistant ever. Oh, looks like you forgot your password. Let me help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um,
1: anything big happening with you? Oh, I'm looking at uh, going through buying a house, actually. So uh, we see how that one goes. Kind of still working out the details and hoping it all works out. But uh, okay, so I guess both of us are possibly looking at new housing here. Possibly. Possibly, I'm hoping my whole thing works okay, out for you. Maybe for me, for you. I guess it's definite for, for See, me. Actually, sitting here, yes, it it is reality. It <sighs> is reality
0: since we're sitting here. So, um, uh, so yeah, as I was saying, the uh, FiOS guy came this morning, so uh, got it all set up, and uh, like he, I mentioned that uh, you know, here's my old router and stuff that you guys gave me like five years ago. Like, I don't use it. I had to, like, dig it out and stuff because I use my own router with the Ethernet. And, like, apparently, as I suspected, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, setting up with the Ethernet. If you have your own router, that'd be fine. It's like, okay. So brought it over there and set it up on, you know, like, duct work in the basement. And um another thing is that it seems like this place is made out of concrete. So... Unfortunately, I can't just like drill holes into the wall. Um, So, uh, unfortunately, I have to go with plan C. Uh, Plan B was, uh, you know, fish it through the ductwork. But apparently, that's like all nice and sealed and insulated. So, um, I guess surviving a nuclear attack and having nice insulation is a good compromise to not being (laughs) able to, you know, just. You know, run your Ethernet cable through things, so it means that I have to run Ethernet cable along the floor. But, uh, you know, thankfully that doesn't exactly cross any kind of traffic flow. So, um, and then, so standing there under underneath the router in a bunker, you know, testing, you know, doing a speed test on my phone, uh, 50 megabits up and down, good. So, uh, even though I'm partitioned for like 150 megabits, Uh, so then I get here, uh, you know, open up my laptop and same thing. And then I notice I am on the Wi-Fi again, (laughs) plug in the ethernet cable and it's only maxing out at like, it maxes out at 90 instead of 150. Wait, this laptop doesn't have gigabit ethernet, does it? Sure enough, it doesn't. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I had to log into my server, which is now on. Uh, and download a few ISOs, and it seems like it maxes out at about 140. But then again, that's just like one test, and it's sort of like during prime time right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, looks like I'm going to be downloading things at least like 17 megabytes a second, which is the at top speed. speed. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's going to be. A little rough not having uh, internet at uh, the other place where my bed is, uh, but uh, I'll survive. At least you have your phone,
1: so if you need to check like weather or something like that, you can make do at least if you turn it on. <laughs> yes, if if I have
0: my data plan on. Uh, right now I have uh, a two gigabyte plan, and I've used thirteen megs. That is so, so much. much. I don't think I'm going to make it (laughs) too hard to think about right now. Raspberry? Raspberry? <laughs> raspberry! The acoustics are pretty good. The echo has a touch to it. Hey, did you know that Subway has a raspberry cheesecake cookie now? That sounds pretty good. Yeah. It... I wasn't exactly sure what to expect because like, I wasn't expecting a raspberry to be in a cookie. That is pretty different. A, an edible
1: raspberry. What would they think of next? Maybe a Raspberry Pi 3. Whoa. And what would be on a Raspberry Pi 3? An even faster chip, a 64-bit capable one. And uh, one other trend recently in the IoT industry is to actually include Wi-Fi integrated <laughs> on the chip. Yes. And so now your Raspberry can be Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. I think to me, that's kind of the biggest deal with this. I mean, yeah, it's faster chip, but... At some level, it's like, meh, it's a little bit faster. But the Wi-Fi just opens things up. You don't have to buy another adapter. Have annoying driver issues as much because since everybody else has it, hopefully they actually make the chip work. Uh, At least that's my assumption. Uh, And like $9 computer has built-in Wi-Fi. The Photon has built-in Wi-Fi. It's just a thing. So uh, I was really glad to see that. And Bluetooth is interesting because that's basically a uh, wireless serial cable. So, again, more uses for embedded systems and communicating to serial devices and such things. So I see that as having potential uh, to do interesting stuff. So that's
0: 802.11n wireless So, and I believe that's only uh, the 2.4 gigahertz band and not the 5 gigahertz band, Um, which, I mean, as I said, I live in a concrete bunker now, so, um, you know, that should eliminate any kind of, uh,
1: you know, errant Wi-Fi signals. On the flip side to that, if your floor is concrete, does that imply that not very much Wi-Fi comes up? That is correct,
0: but... Uh, I mean, at least over here in the kitchen and the dining room area, it should be pretty good because, like, the router is, like, right below the floor. So maybe up in your bedroom it might be an issue, but, uh, at least down yeah. here, not so bad. Maybe mediocre in the living room, so... But, hey, we got, like, 50 megabits,
1: like, right here, so... So you just be staying by the kitchen all the time, <laughs> just, uh, using internet? Uh, at least on your Raspberry. So, um... Did you have your chip yet? I've not gotten my chip yet. I keep hearing promises and emails from them. They're like, hey, look what we did with the chip. And then here's a gif of people dancing that are all holding their chip. But your chip hasn't come yet. So, yes, I'm still waiting on my chip. So,
0: uh, I remembered that uh, you were sort of looking forward to this anyway. And I came across a... uh, how should I say, a idea and steps to transform an old speaker into a chip-based,
1: like, audio system. So my uh, favorite part about this was that he included a battery backup on the chip for a case of power outages so he could still pr- play his music. Yes. I found that <laughs> interesting. Well, uh,
0: either that or he could unplug it and carry it around the house. To I a new place and still you keep know, the music going. That that I can see, but you know, uh, or or
1: carry it around like a fancy boom box. Yeah, a hipster true. a hipster boom box. <laughs> <laughs> so he he looked up kind of interesting. He just used the Wi-Fi, and so now he has like Wi-Fi controlled app on his phone, yeah. so he hasn't doesn't need wires and such. Yeah, it I uh, believe he based this off of MPD. The music player daemon. I think I saw NPD someplace in there in all of his mini commands. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and then you noticed how it says you,
0: you replace your uh, Wi Fi username or, you know, like your Wi Fi, whatchamacallit uh, name uh, here. Yes, yes. And then, and then change Wi Fi password to what your Wi Fi
1: password is. Let's let's read the quote because it was actually pretty good. Uh, okay. How do you spell posterity? Or did you find it? I found it. Okay, go for it. You're smart, so it's probably
0: obvious that you should put in your Wi-Fi network name for network name and your password for Wi-Fi password, but for prosperity's sake, I'll
1: mention that just in case. <laughs> oh, it's <was> pretty good. <laughs> Feels like writing implementation guide at work Save. paste connection string here <laughs> and then hmm. the directions you like and then add the connection string to the place where it says connection string so uh we're all
0: into uh solid state drives as uh we mentioned but how about solid state drives and a whole bunch of servers well it turns out that's what google's been doing for over six years And just like their, uh, report on hard drive mortality, like over 10 years ago, uh, they've now released a, uh, report on how solid state drives do in the data center. Uh, so over six years, 10 different models and three different flash types, uh, SLC, MLC, and EMLC. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, across both enterprise and consumer-grade drives. So some of the things they found out. Ignore uncorrectable bit error rate specs. Meaningless number. So I guess this is like specs about, like, uh, for, like, X amount of bytes read, like, there will be one failure. Apparently that doesn't exactly count. Good news. Raw bit error rate increases slower than expected from wear out and is not not correlated with any failures. Uh, High-end SLC drives are no more reliable than MLC drives. Uh, Bad news, they fail at a lower rate than disks, but the uncorrectable bit error rate is higher. Uh, SSD age and not usage affects reliability. Uh, bad blocks in new drives are common, and these drives uh, with a larger number of bad blocks are more likely to lose hundreds of other blocks, mostly due to die or chip failure. And 30 to 80% of SSDs develop at least one bad block, and 2 to 7% develop at least one bad chip in the first four years. So, um,. This is sort of interesting conclusions that uh, especially the like the actual age of, of the drive you know, affects when it will die and not how much you use it because it seems like everyone's concerned about you know like writing too much to the drive. Yes, I've heard a lot of hype about that so and that kind of runs counter to you know as I said, it runs counter to the prevailing uh, conventional wisdom. Uh, for solid state
1: drives. Mm-hmm. And that statement though is kind of backed up in those stress tests that we examined uh many podcasts ago where they really stressed out the SSDs hard. Yeah. And they were like living incredibly past their expected lifetime. They were like way past Yeah, it. like was it like two petabytes or yeah, something? Yeah. It was petabytes, which you're not doing Which which is the order of magnitude above a terabyte. Yes. Mm. So that's just like an incredible amount. Now, the interesting thing to me, like I can see over time, like I guess electronic electricity leaks out of the gates and stuff. I understand that. But other than that, I don't understand why an SSD would go bad with its age. To me, that should be something that should really get bigger or smaller if it's 10 years old, 2 years old, I would have thought them to pretty much be as reliable. Unless it's just that older ones are made earlier on when the technology was less perfect. Yeah. But it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it was he made a point in there, too, about uh, failure that was often more sudden with SSDs. With yes. hard drives, you might get that sound or something. Have you ever experienced a dying hard drive? Because I have not. I had one that did die. It actually did not make the famous cat sounds, though, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, it, it may have made more louder than normal sounds, and it just kind of got to the place you'd boot up Windows, and then pretty soon it'd crash. <laughs> so then I did the f- hard drive in the freezer trick and pulled off my data, because uh, apparently we weren't exactly backing it up, probably because we didn't have many other drives. Because it was the 90s. It was the 90s. <laughs> That's my excuse. Uh, and things were on the cloud then. And we had dial-up internet, too. <laughs> so backing up wasn't feasible. Yeah, and,
0: you know, like you said, the cloud were actually things above you and not, like,
1: yes. on a website. <laughs> cloud was just things above you. So, yeah, so I basically pulled the data off and... Set it in the computer where it probably stayed until we dumped that computer and probably don't have that hard drive anymore. But yeah, so that was the only hard drive that like we had as a family computer that actually died on me that I can think of. That and there's, uh, I think my brother has had some issues with hard drives dying. Uh, but he has some weird things going on with his builds though. Hmm. But other than that, like, hard drives in general have been pretty reliable. Yeah, uh, I, I remember I killed a hard drive
0: by what I think was static electricity. It's just like you touched it and then it just was dead then? Or... No, I was, uh, like, replacing a motherboard mm-hmm. and maybe putting it in another case. I'm not sure. But, yeah, definitely replacing the motherboard. So I, you know, turn it on. I'm like... Okay? Like, nothing's happening. So I called the guy who had it before. I was like, um, how long is this supposed to boot? (laughs) So, yeah. So let's talk about Microsoft for a little while. So, uh, or at least specifically the grievances against Microsoft. Uh, so Tim Sweeney of Epic Games, you know, the Unreal Engine people, uh, believes that Microsoft is trying to destroy the current PC gaming market with their UWP, which I believe is the universal Windows platform. Uh, So he believes that Microsoft is going to force everyone to go through this platform and thereby go through the Microsoft Windows Store in order to put applications onto
1: Windows. So it seems like his main concern, as I read through, is less of how it is now, but of the trajectory that Microsoft is taking. So he's saying that today you can make Win32 applications that run on Windows, what stops Microsoft from tomorrow releasing a forced Windows update, as in you must take this. And saying, sorry, now you have to sell apps to the store and uh, use them there. And they could have the power to lock down where you get your software from. That seems to be the core essence of what he's saying. Yes, but
0: I think that is highly unlikely. Um, About as, well, no, I won't go there because we're going to be talking about it in a while. But... uh, That is highly unlikely because the, I wouldn't want to say number one selling point, but a big selling point of Windows is backwards compatibility. Yes. Do you know how many applications, like Win32 applications, that were written years ago that people still use uh, continually and will do so in
1: the future that rely upon Win32 APIs? And this is right now triggering in my memory... Uh, last year when, or whenever it was, XP died and we had his funeral. Yes. That uh, a article in and around that time frame was apparently ATMs use Windows XP and, oh no, what are we going to do? So, yeah, you th- that's a great point. I've heard that many other times about Windows. That's huge. I can run video games written back in the 90s. Yeah, Sometimes that. they run a little bit too fast, but that's more, to me, the developer's issue. If your game just kind of runs really, really fast, you apparently didn't time it very good. But yeah, the, some games do run very well. The old, old games, there's no overarching problem that keeps you from running really old games on Windows. And so they have done a great job at supporting backwards compatibility. Most of the time, issues arise from bad programming in the old games if they don't work. So, um, yeah, he's
0: sort of concerned about this. Um, there's also reports of the UWP not working with, uh, you know, how should I say, gaming-specific features like at SLI and Crossfire and, like, you know, multiple GPU setups. And apparently, as of right now, it only does vertical sync. It, like, forces it to be on. So, like, you can't go
1: higher than, like, 60 frames a second. So that's, that, that was the, in this article, the part I was going to ask you about that you didn't quite get. So what's the deal with the vertical sync? Why is that something they would want to turn off? And how would it help them? Okay, so, uh,
0: you know, it sort of, again, goes back to the, you know, being a little bit fast with your hardware. So you know what a vertical sync is? I cannot think with it. Okay, so a you know how your monitor, well, most monitors uh, go at sixty hertz uh-huh. refresh rate. Yep. So, um, uh, so when a GPU is drawing out an image, it'll do so in a buffer. Yes. So uh, generally, there are two buffers in yes. a graphics card. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So one of them is what the GPU is working on. Another one is what is being displayed. So what vertical synchronization does is that it times the swap
1: to when your monitor has finished scanning. Okay, so your monitor is writing out, writing out, writing, writing out, writing out, and this is what we're doing, writing out again, and then sending whoosh, this new stuff. Yes. Okay.
0: So uh, it eliminates something called
1: vertical tearing. Um, Or maybe like horizontal tearing. So would that look like on my monitor having half of the image happening and half of the images in the old image? Yes. So you can sort of see at this point, there's actually... Ooh, there's two of them. Which I've seen Windows do this before where it will suddenly have like this weird shift in the image and is like, hey! So... So what is my desktop in half.
0: Yeah, vertical synchronization. Vertical synchronization eliminates this. Okay. okay? And sometimes you want it. Um, other times you have a very expensive GPU setup, and you do not want to be limited by this. So in other words, you want to go way above what the monitor is,
1: you know, capable of spitting out full images of. So you would actually be changing the image more often than the monitor is refreshing? Yes. And how does this help you as a viewer? Because
0: you want to have the highest frame rates possible. Because you spent $4,000 on three monster GPU Titan X Things. But I, I guess... So this is, and you want to take full advantage of that. So this is where I'm not understanding. And, and you don't really care about the screen tearing because you have 200
1: frames a second. Okay, so, so the screen tearing will happen because your monitor can't refresh that fast, but it's refreshing so fast that the tearing probably doesn't even appear for your eyes. It, it's much less noticeable at high
0: frame rates. Which makes sense. So I will go ahead and put this into the dock. So, um, going back to that, um, I believe it was like Rise of the Tomb Raider. Oh, oh great, now my chair is broke.
1: Did it bend?
0: Yes, it bent. Okay, well, I guess I'll be without a chair for the rest of the show. So at least it will make it go somewhat fast, (laughs) hopefully. Um, So uh, the Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, was recently released. Apparently it released on both the Windows Store and on Steam. Guess which one did
1: not sell as well. I'm going to go with Steam selling more well, because Steam is a great platform, and Windows, basically no one uses that to buy stuff, I would guesstimate. That is correct.
0: So um, Peter Bright over at Ars Technica has a more nuanced approach uh, to the, uni- the universal Windows platform. Uh, he contends that the current Windows ecosystem is broken and that essentially this new platform caters to a different audience than to gamers.
1: So what I what was ringing a bell for me when I read this article was uh, I've heard long heard uh, complaints against Windows and favor for Mac or Linux saying there's really no centralized way signed official apps. And because of that, it's like, oh, I want a game about playing volleyball. So you Google on the internet download game for volleyball and then it comes up with this program this exe and You like double click it and install it malware and the, yes and then the next morning you turn on your computer and it pops up a window and it says play poker online you can win big money and, and also
0: all your stuff has been encrypted <laughs> yes <laughs>
1: please, please call this phone number and give and, us your credit card information or give bitcoins Yes, give bitcoins so we can't trace them back and you can't take your money away from me. Uh, So, yeah, Uh, I've heard, you know, numerous people speak out against this concept of uh, just being able to download stuff and infect yourself. So what if, first, sorry, uh, I need a better term here, a more sensitive term. I'm going to say stupid people, but this computer, non-computer savvy people. Is that kind? Okay. I'm working on being kinder when I speak. <laughs> so less computer-savvy people uh, now have a way they can go to the Windows Store app and search, I want to play Solitary, and so they can type in Solitary, and it will give them options of things that are at least hopefully reasonable and probably run in the sandbox, probably don't interact with other programs, or as the article mentions, just documents on their desktop, encrypting them or anything weird like that. Solitary, you talk funny, that uh, that is a game I've seen many old people <laughs> using on their computers. That currently is the game that they like. I'm with you there. So if you recall my hesitation
0: of something that would never happen, well, something has happened, or at least will happen. Um, so after doing the unthinkable. And releasing SQL Server 2016. In
1: 2016, Microsoft will release SQL Server for Linux. The best part about this, I just kind of clicked. They have like a big heart between SQL Server and Linux. Isn't that cute? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I,
0: you know recalled that, hey, you're part of the Microsoft ecosystem, but you use
1: Oracle for your database. Yay. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is actually kind of nice, though, just looking at this, because uh, Linux is just kind of fact standard uh, for servers, and so it makes a lot of sense to that perspective. From another perspective, just ease of use, it makes if by chance my company did start using SQL Server it makes it a whole lot easier for me to get into DevOps stuff. Of, I'm vagrant. They're a vagrant. Just spin up a VM and spin up a server on it and be like, hey, I know. I have a server running to do my stuff. Whereas with Windows, you're going to need a license and you need this and that. So uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it follows the trend of uh, we've been seeing in the past year of Microsoft is the new Google and Google is the new Microsoft. Indeed It is. So where is Microsoft and what did you do to it? Also, where do you want to go today? Linux, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's good to see Microsoft acknowledging Linux and seeing its value and catering to people that wish to use it. And I don't think, kind of like most things in life, no one thing is the perfect solution for all situations. So Windows is good for some stuff. Linux is good for some stuff. Macs are good for video editing type of people, I guess. I hear creative types. Creative types that don't... I don't know. Anyways, I'll leave that one be. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I, I think all have own niche markets where they have their place, and it's kind of recognizing by Microsoft that servers do rule in Linux and... Or Linux rules and servers. There we go. Other <laughs> way around. So that that that's a good good move, I'd say.
0: Yeah, um, I'd love to see some benchmarks. So uh, say hello to Drown, a new way to get your server's private key. TLDR: Disable SSLv2 everywhere right now, you idiot, because your security is only as strong as the weakest link. Even if your servers support TLS 1.2. And to make sure you check things like mail and FTP servers, and not just web servers.
1: So I was just kind of reading through the, game, the gist of how it works, and it sounds like, on the high level, they watch encrypted connection back and forth, and then they're asking, then, as the third party, they ask the server some request in the older encryption format, and somehow that exposes the vulnerability.
0: Mm-hmm. So I didn't exactly have... I wasn't exactly brave enough to open up the like the actual proper the research paper document on the bottom um but uh yeah it turns out that a lot of places uh use like the same uh certificate and key for uh servers of many different protocols and uh like especially on mail servers that they uh you know the idea is, you know, some encryption is better than no encryption. Uh, you know, also uh, service the older uh, secure protocols too. You know, just in case if some server way out in no man landistan to uh, wanted to send mail and it wasn't exactly up to date.
1: I feel like encrypting mail is email is more of a recent phenomenon. It's kind of a thing that has not gotten much attention, so it's kind of an overlooked thing, I feel like. Yeah, and I
0: think that will be changing pretty quickly now that uh, Google has put that
1: little hmm. you know
0: red unlock icon in yeah. Gmail. I think that it may
1: be a big deal there with that, yep,
0: I agree. You know, because uh you know like all these executives and stuff will start freaking out that they're Why company... is it
1: red? It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Fix it <laughs>
0: So, you know, it's, you know, just to take a step back, it's amazing what that will do, you know, for the greater good, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, like, especially I remember back even a little further that Google published like these statistics on like incoming mail servers and did like the most popular ones. Like apparently uh, Comcast was only sending encrypted mail about 60% of the time. By the time the next report came out, it was a hundred. Ha
1: <laughs> ha
0: ha. Or like maybe ninety-nine percent uh-huh. or something, but yeah, so pretty high. Apparently it made a difference. <laughs> so and who said Comcast didn't care. They still don't. So uh Amazon. Let's talk about Amazon for a while. We need like a catchy thing for Amazon. <laughs> So, Amazon uh, has a few devices. You know, it has, like, their Fire tablet, their Fire Fire phone, Fire TV. They might actually have a Fire Fire. Fire
1: Fire. <laughs> <laughs> While you sit warming yourself in front of the Fire, you can listen to... Books and see the here the text of the fire. The fire can make like text appear, so you can read your book in like a fire shape. And then you like click next, and the fire will go whoosh, like change. <laughs> so um, they uh, Amazon dropped
0: full device encryption support from Fire OS five. This apparently happened back in September. The only reason people got upset over it recently. Uh, was because it 's being pushed to other devices um, I'm, I think they might be like slightly older devices. The reason being that since it 's an enterprise level feature since you know and most people do not use enterprise level features because they are not enterprises. Mm-hmm. That you know, most people weren't using them, so they decided to get rid of a few of these extraneous features that people weren't using anyway. That might cause problems in general, you know, and in general, like just make a smaller, more you know, how should I say, cuter,
1: um, you know, maybe a little bit more faster system. Yeah, right? and uh, that's one thing the article mentioned was speed. Which yeah, I mean, if you encrypt it, it's going to be slower. So turns out that was a false, maybe bad assumption
0: that turns out some people actually do encrypt their Amazon devices and when you tell them that, uh, let's see where was it here, maybe in the other article, that your device has encrypted data however device encryption is no longer supported in Fire OS 5 follow the steps outlined below to save your data. Showing people that message makes them a little angry So, um, you know, an uproar happened, as was justified, and what should have happened. And, like, the next day, Amazon reports that a new Fire OS update will be coming this spring to bring full device encryption to their devices.
1: So it's interesting for the Amazon, I don't know, uh, defense might not be quite the right, right word there, but... If it's a feature that wasn't... They probably did an analysis and found not many people using it. This is back in September. The hype with Apple is recent. And now it's like the hype with Apple is driving this to happen. It still would have been a big deal, I think, if it was publicly exposed in September. But it's not the same level. Yeah.
0: So, you know, with the attention to that case, which we will get to in a moment... Um you know, people have realized that, oh, without encryption, anybody can, like, get my tablet and presumably have access to my Amazon account. Yeah, which could be really bad. Yes, especially because Amazon really likes to save and hold on to credit card data. They do. Maybe have a gift card balance or something, too. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: well, bad on them, but okay, they, they're going to rectify it. Hopefully... It will be better this time. So our, well, I wouldn't want to say favorite, our uh, most talked about FBI, I don't know, director, I guess. Yeah, FBI director, James Comey. Uh, Congress apparently fished some answers out of him and got him to admit that part of the reason that they issued their backdoor warrant is to set a precedent and that it would not just be used for one phone. It was, this was interesting because Congress... So just as a recap, um, so that San Bernardino shooting thing, uh, the FBI gave uh, Apple a, um, like a warrant or something that says you need to build a version of iOS that bypasses all these restrictions regarding passcode so we can try as many times as we want, and the phone won't kill itself. So, go on. I'm sorry, I lost my turn, (laughs) thought. think for a second. Uh... So, so, uh, some of the pointed questions included, why did they wait 50 days to go to court to get this uh, warrant? Uh, Why did they uh, bungle it so much that they... Told the city of San Bernardino, who actually had the phone, like, actually owned the phone, like, even before this, uh, to reset the iCloud password, um, because apparently, like, when it is on Wi-Fi, it'll go ahead and back up itself, Mm -hmm. maybe, um... And uh, also other questions like, uh, you know, would this set a precedent? And, you know, the idea was that it would. He apparently fessed up to that pretty easily. Um, Which is kind of bad because the FBI has, according to Mr. Comey's recollection... an, An uncountable amount. Yes. Not to mention how many others, you know, state and local police have that they would like to go through this. Um, Another thing is, you know, once this has been created, like what will
1: happen when the government of China asks for this capability? Mm -hmm. And we all want China to be able to decrypt our devices and things and know what we have on our secure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So one good thing that uh, I was seeing in this is it sounds like Congress is very much against this. And so that's, that's good. I was thinking motivation wise, it could be people, but a lot of it could be these companies. If you read, like, the. you were talking about the. We discussed it earlier, the fringe, whatever it's called, when they're giving, like, their legal opinion to the court. The Amicus Brief. Yeah, that thing. Amicus Brief. I'm not even sure if I can pronounce that. But, anyways, uh, and Google and I think Facebook and. Bunch of different companies, the, uh, Amazon too, ironically, uh, have all been advising the court not to make Apple do this, and uh, so I think that's a lot of pressure on them. Probably even from political. If you have all these big companies, that are probably giving campaign contributions. Yeah. Maybe you yeah, don't want to be. Of course, you know, slapping them. Apparently, lobbying
0: is an avenue that's open to everyone if you have enough money. And right now, tech companies have, like, the most money of any companies. They do have
1: quite a bit of money right now.
0: Like, hundreds of Instagrams worth of stuff just lying around. Uh, plus, the overseas stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess they could repatriate some of those funds and pay taxes on them solely for the purposes of lobbying. Ha. <laughs> Yes, if you look at it in the abstract, it looks like 2016 is the year I'm going to optimize my life, optimize your life. So, part of that is moving closer to work, okay? That's an optimization. Um another one uh and, you know, uh like even more in a technical sense, optimizing my website. So, uh we talked uh, yesterday or yesterday last episode, sorry. We talked last episode about me sort of optimizing, uh, like, my database tables, like, adding indexes and doing some profiling. So uh, I was kept on digging, and apparently, uh, like, my default server configuration is built to be more of a, like, a developer uh, environment. So, like, it would constantly look for, like, any changes to the, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, changes to uh, the web application itself, okay. so like uh, like the archive, uh, the application archive where like all your files are. Okay. So like I disabled that and uh, like optimized. I think like instead of using strings to like write uh, data on the page, it would use byte arrays mm-hmm. instead, and a few other uh, things such that. Um, so on, on my, like, every uh, blog web page that I have, at the bottom it'll say request received at such and such and such, rendered in such and such milliseconds. So because I just turned my server on, like, three hours ago, it hasn't exactly, like, did the runtime optimizations yet because it's in Java. Okay, Like, it hasn't had enough hits on it in order to, like, do the just-in-time compile. So, when it does, like, right now, like, I just uh, requested this page, it'll say 79 milliseconds. If I haven't done... If I haven't did anything to my server for about a week, that'll get down to about 30. Not doing things to your server makes a good sound? So, in other words, I have not restarted, like, the
1: actual server program. I have not rebooted... The server itself. Okay, so the web page is being used, but you haven't cycled the server. Exactly. Okay, I, I took it like the opposite way. It's like if, as in it wasn't on or something. Okay. Yeah, I get it now. Yeah, um, and I and
0: at this point, like whenever I update it, I have to restart the web server program. So um, okay. even at that point, it would you know have to renew all of that. So all the all they not code. cached anymore. Yeah, it would like uh, let go of all those optimizations. So, yeah. Another thing that I noticed is that uh, at work with Chrome, my blog would load in about 600 milliseconds. But on Firefox, it would take more or less a second each time. Mm-hmm. And I figured out that's because of the uh, online certificate protocol that uh, Let's Encrypt uses. So apparently Chrome doesn't do that. Firefox does. So what that basically does is uh, when the server gets my certificate, it'll see, oh, there's a little URL that I can use to ask them if uh, this certificate has been revoked or not. Okay. So it'll do that, and Firefox apparently will wait until that comes back. Which I can understand. So... Uh, Chrome apparently used to have OCSP functionality, but it would do it asynchronously. So, like, it would start to, you know, load the web page a little bit, and then if it got a negative response, cancel everything.
1: Fair enough, because you may actually have time to stop the user if something happens and stop it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's my exciting
0: uh, optimization for the week. So uh, anyways, uh, don't forget to submit any kind of feedback, because we're kind of lacking on that right now, and have been for a while. Is anybody even listening? (laughs) Uh, Go ahead and do that on the nexus.tv, especially if you're looking at the podcast page. You can can see a link right there. And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff, um, even if it means going across town to your new apartment to do so. So, hi mom, how you doing? You're supposed to be coming over soon. So, yeah, see you then. Um, as, for, as for myself, I will continue to be moving into this place and further optimizing the placement of things within. Further
1: optimization within your life. Yes. So, um, how about you? Well, I've been uh, working with my uh, photon but made by particle recently. I uh, learned how to use shift registers, uh, so I've got two of them chained together, hooked up to 16 LEDs, and so the end goal is, uh, you familiar with the Pinewood Derby cars, like the races? Uh, mm-hmm. It's a big thing with the Boy Scouts, and sometimes, like, I wanna uses them. You mean, uh, like, soapbox? It's a race car that's about, I don't know, that many inches long, that's like 8 inches, and then, like, 3 inches high or so, and they oh. go down a wooden track. I'm not familiar with those, okay. but but anyways, a car like of that caliber made out of wood. Anyways, uh, my church is having a race for the cars, and uh, I thought it would be really neat to have an electronic eye instead of having people look and see, or we've had in previous years had a camera and just like take pictures. So what I've tried doing is hook up a, a photo cell transistor, an LED light shining down, and then light. Like, car goes underneath, breaks the light beam, and apparently it knows that it happened on this lane. So I've got that part working, and now I'm trying to set that array of 16 LEDs to indicate place, so by four LEDs indicating what place that car came in. So uh, that's been an interesting project. I learned how shift registers work, which was a new one for me. Uh, Still haven't put it all together, have issues with the current being too high and the LEDs being dim or something, so still working through it. But anyways, that's my kind of almost their feet. Okay. Guess that's it for now. So, have a good one. You too.